come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good girl's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Mac. Polter guide, Debbie, she said something. She had to go check on her sister. Uh, she said back. she'd be right back. Yeah. She's been missing for most of the second act, so she's my number one suspect now. <laughs> <laughs> That was good, Beck. That was good. <laughs> so this week we have watched the 2022 Scream 5, or just Scream as it is being called. Um, or as I call it, News Cream. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know what Scream 5 is about, our good, good buddies and Mac and Donna's nemesis, IMDb, want you to know that 25 years after a streak of brutal murder shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, California, a new killer dons the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. That could be the description of any of them. Just replace the number. That's true. Any of the sequels. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it's really about is David Arquette is Jamie Lee Curtis in Stab 8. (laughs) (laughs) well we're done good night so (laughs) however lacking the bitchin gray hair he can't pull it off true that all right so now let's go around did you like it did you not like it had you seen it before all that good stuff i had not seen it before and uh yeah i enjoyed it um, I, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, I'll stop there. I, I had not seen it before. I rewatched all of the screams leading up to it. Cause I feared being somewhat lost. It's self-contained enough that you probably don't need to. Um, I had a, a good time and this may start to creep into our poll, but, uh, it, I spent the whole movie just, like not being scared, but trying to figure out who the killer was and never quite getting there. But I thought everybody was the killer at one point. So I actually did figure it out at some point, but immediately discounted it. Like, oh, they've already done that. Can't do that. Um, so, yes, I like like my, most of my no- notes are um, Dewey is the killer. Wait, no. Sydney's been missing for the whole second act. Sydney's the killer. Oh, wait, no. Courtney Cox is the killer? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, oh, you know, uh, uh, Boimler, uh, Bradward Boimler is the killer. I'm calling it now, which now we drift into spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was my second watch of it. I We had done the same thing uh, around Halloween. We went back and watched all, all the screams because we knew this one was coming out. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's a scream film. It's fun. It's very self-aware and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it all. So, and with that note, we're going to be jumping into spoiler territory, probably right meow. So if you haven't watched it, did, did just, you, did you say right meow? I did say right meow. Yes. All right. 
Well, actually, let me let me because you both talked about your your rewatch history. I've only ever seen Scream one and two, and my fellow poltergeists here did encourage me to um, watch Scream two. And thank you very much for that because Scream two is a delight. It's it is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's the funnest whodunit I think of the whole series, even surpassing one. And then the casting is impeccable, and uh, it has a lot to say about horror sequels. And I think that's maybe the low hanging fruit, but mm-hmm. it means they hit the target and often than and they don't. Jerry O'Connell in Bondage. I mean, I mean, how often do you get that? This film, that film. Yeah, and, so and Lower Decks, which Lower Decks and the Scream franchise are now right there. <laughs> the universe. I don't are remember colliding. Jerry O'Connell in Bondage in Lower Decks. Uh, when he when he had the God thing in the season two premiere. Oh he, yeah, okay, okay. Little, yeah, all right, that, that, there was all right. There was some overlap. Yeah, gotcha. Bondage okay. adjacent. Yeah. All right. Fair, 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 fair. fair. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> One other suspect I had, because I had glanced at a Wikipedia article and I saw that a returning cast member who was an unlikely choice was coming back in the movie. I'm like, oh, he's got to be the killer. He already was the killer one time. He wasn't. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad right. that you, you enjoyed Scream 2, Donna. That makes me happy. <laughs> I did. In fact... I, I'm sorry, I'm about to be spoilery of Scream 2. One of my absolute favorite movie moments in, in any movement, movie was when um, Courtney Cox said, give me one of those guns. And then the killer jumped back up and they both turned around and just emptied their mags into him. And then Liam Schreiber just turned around and looked at the both of them like he was reevaluating so many things. <laughs> Like, oh, I have made some misjudgments about these women. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So let's talk about this screen movie. So I love that this film, even though it is not done by Wes Craven, it still feels very Craven-esque. There is a lot of love for the genre and it, it knew what it was. Of course, it also helps that the guys that directed it and one of the co-writers did ready or not, which is a fantastic gonzo film. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want any spoilers about it. Cause also probably will probably end up like, doing it. On- we haven't done it on the show. So yeah, that's gotta be yeah. on the list. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, it's a delight. And yeah, I, I was a little late to the party with that one. So yeah. Um. You know what a movie it also heavily re- like wait like suspiciously references Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Because uh Boimler's partner, the the teenage girl, dies in exactly the same way she did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Precisely. Yes. Like so when we watched that cuz we were like, man, they love setting that girl on fire. And she's, I mean, she screams fantastically, like does that crazy scream so well, but yeah. Uh, Because I I kept like, where have I seen her before? Where have I seen her before? (sighs) Oh, there she is. (laughs) (laughs) What did y'all think about the opening murder not being a death? And why? Why? The, The murderer could have killed her. Why? 
wasn't it a death? One, I I like that change up because it kind of keeps us on our toes. And two, I think since that was her friend that did it, I don't think she's very good at it. I think the ones that survive were done by her and she's not very good, except Dewey. She, I was she, about to say, like, okay. uh, come on. Okay. <laughs> but she used two knives, so, but. Yeah, and let me tell you, when she went in the back and then she came up, and I'm, I am both a veterinarian and a teacher of human anatomy, so let me tell you, when she went in the back and came up, oh, she cut all sorts of super important things. She she did a lot of damage. <laughs> The phrase, I'm a veterinarian and a teacher of human anatomy, did push you above Debbie on my suspect list. <laughs> Just for everyone's information. <laughs> like, I know all the ways to kill you. All the ways. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah uh, that's not encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the belly wound, you could have survived. But the in the back and then coming up, like there there went the renal artery. Like, oh, boy. I mean, whew. Whew. Well, and also, though, too, she's not trying to kill her. She's trying to get Sam back. Like, that's the whole thing is getting oh, okay. Samantha back. So you think she didn't mean to kill Tara? Yeah. yeah. I don't think she meant to kill Tara, but also... I think besides Dewey, I don't think her track record is also that good because you have the twins surviving as well. And then, of course, Tara's misses, multiple misses. Speaking of Tara, I just I have to give a shout out. And the actress's name is Jenna Ortega. This woman is having a phenomenal horror year. She opened with Scream, which was great and she's also in ty west's x movie which is delightfully gory and kind of raunchy but it's a delight and she kills it in that too so i just i she's having a hell of a horror year already and it just makes me happy i have, yeah. I have one additional thought about the 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 lady who picks up the phone at the beginning of the movie living to the end um i think and it's a deep thought and maybe it's too deep for this franchise, but maybe it's Scream's comment on sort of that elevated horror where like the trauma of survival is its own horror uh, that, you know, the people who die quickly are, are getting lucky in this process because they're not having to go through all like the agony she has to go through of getting out of the bed and, crawl, and, and that sort of thing. Because it, it mentions elevated horror and makes references to elevated horror, but it doesn't really incorporate a lot of that elevated horror into itself. It's still, at its core, a slasher whodunit. But there is that element there. I really appreciated, by the way, the way she um, showed the pain of getting out of that bed. And, um, or this was later in the movie, but the way she showed the pain of getting out of that bed and trying to escape because let me tell you i had knee surgery like three months ago and the other day i made a movement that overflexed my knee and i sat here i'm going to say for about 90 seconds i sat here going ow 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 okay <laughs> and that was three months ago and and so she the fact that she sat there and demonstrated that she was in tremendous pain 
just operating a wheelchair. I mean, I appreciated that. I appreciated that they showed that she was in pain doing what she did because, you know, just a couple of episodes back, I was complaining about them showing somebody walking on a obviously broken leg. So I appreciated that a lot. So thank you screen franchise for that. (laughs) Well, Mac, you kind of opened up the door to my next point and which is their comments about elevated horror and yes. having a lot of opinions on it. And, and and they're not wrong because that's the thing. One, slashers are always the redheaded stepchildren of, of the horror franchise. And then now, two, you've got the term elevated horror. And it's not, it's not a knock against Jordan Peele, nothing like that. Because, but then you've got just look at most of A24's <laughs> category. And so I really I liked it. I liked their their commentary on it. I thought it was, was really good. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's where this one rate rises above scream four for me. Cause it feels like they've internalized the last 25 years of horror better and have more to say about it. Whereas like scream four seems like the incomplete draft of what scream five becomes. Well, and scream four hadn't really, cause that was 10 years ago. So it hadn't yeah. had that surge of, right. of, of, Elevated horror. And I'm doing air quotes, everybody. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, the, the simpler version of my thought is that Scream 5 has more interesting things to say about horror than Scream 4 did because there was more interesting things happening in horror in the last 10 years than there were in the preceding 10 years. I um, I, I, I apologize to anybody I'm about to piss off. Um, as, as someone who has aspirations to be or, or Perhaps I should just say that I am a writer because I do engage in the act of writing. I have deep-seated resentments against the whole idea of literary fiction because, like, you're not better. You're not better. You're just fiction. You're just fiction that does it your own way, just like science fiction is fiction that does it its own way. And fantasy is fiction that does it its own way. And, by the way, romance... Do not dare shit on romance because romance is just the idea that men might actually find women important. Okay. And if you shit on that, I have opinions about you. Okay. So now after that little rant, um, horror is not one genre. Horror has a lot of little subgenres and it serves up a lot of different things to a lot of different people. All right. And slashers are just kind of gory fun. They are roller coasters. Okay. Slashers are roller coasters. You get on the roller coaster and you scream and you wave your arms around in the air and you're scared and then you get off and you're safe. And then I think maybe to horror fans, it's the cheeseburger. It's the comfort food. It can be prepared with very little thought and care, or it can be prepared with the finest uh, ingredients and the, the, the most artistry possible. They are still cheeseburgers, but there is that range within the realm of the cheeseburger. I like that analogy, too. So I find that I am developing the same irritation towards elevated horror that I have towards literary fiction. You're not better, okay? You're just different. And when you sit there and try and say that you're better, I'm going to sneer at you because you're not better. Yeah. You're just different. Yeah, I don't, like, if we count Jordan Peele's stuff as elevated horror, I don't think he has pretensions to be 
better than no. other horror. Um, no, he just is the example. Everybody, that first one, everybody goes to is like, yeah. well, get out. And where he has never made, you know, he's never come out and said, no, I make a different type of horror. No, yeah. his, his horror is, this is just what I want to see. And it's funny because I would never have put Jordan Peele into elevated horror. Okay. Yeah. Jordan yeah, I think Peele just would. makes yeah. really yeah. good horror. Yeah. Um, but like Ari Aster, I think is, is going to be the poster child for that. Oh, yeah. definitely. Um, which, you know, I, we've <laughs> talking about, it seems like too much at this point, but like, it, it can be a bit of a chore sitting through his movies. Not that they're not well-made. It's just, but it, to compare literary fiction with all other kinds of fiction, elevated horror with other horror, uh, it, it can be a chore. It doesn't mean it's not well-made. Mm-hmm. It's just, it feels a little high fiber. And uh, yes, I, I'd like a little more grease in there. A, a friend of mine gave me a um, famously wonderful book of literary fiction that i'm not going to name because i don't want to be judged and oh it was a slog it was a slog and i read it i read it and that's all i'm going to say about that so that's going to be on the paperback review by the way of that said book is uh dr donna well i read it And uh, yeah, there were some beautiful phrases in there. There was some lovely use of language. And you read it. <laughs> and I read it. Okay. So, um, yeah, you know, the witch is is beautiful. The yeah. witch is beautiful. The witch is beautiful. And the witch is another one. Uh, Robert Eggers, and I'm probably butchering mm-hmm. his last name. Um, the Lighthouse is beautiful. Do I like The Lighthouse? No. <laughs> but I see... I see the craft. I see the skill. Mm-hmm. I see the yeah. talent. It's just not that particular film. Not my bag. And Hereditary, I have an emotional reaction just to the title. Hereditary. I go, oof. So, yeah. Midsummer. Good. Beautiful photography. I, I have not seen it since we did it for this show. It is one that I keep wanting to go back to because I do love the photography and I love yeah. Florence Pugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. I will say she still was robbed of a nomination for Midsummer. I'm fair, you know, even with it being elevated horror, but I still was like, Oh, nope. I'm just, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not emotionally right in that place to, to go down that path. And I think that's, that that's elevated horror right there is being in that place for it. I, and I, I probably would be less irritated if they didn't use the word elevated because I don't think horror needed to be elevated. If they called it literary horror, I would probably be less irritated. No, I'm I'd, be, I'd, I'd be more irritated if they used literary <laughs> horror, but to each their own. <laughs> I'm, I'm still predicting both of you would be irritated regardless of just making it sound better. Whatever, true. Whatever, whatever, word they, whatever word they decided to use, literary, elevated, whatever, both of you would be like, nah, fuck them. <laughs> snobs. Exactly. Fucking snobs. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> so we put our soapboxes away. Yeah. Not away, <laughs> just... To the side. Yeah, be to the side. Yeah, we exactly. step off our soapboxes. I'm sure we'll have cause to need them later on. 
Oh, yeah. If we put away our soapboxes, if people put away their soapboxes, all podcasts would collapse it on themselves and create a black <laughs> hole of internet content <laughs> from which gravity could not escape. <laughs> but yeah, I I do like that this film is saying a lot about that. With yeah. just especially that that opening opening monologue without becoming it because it is still unassailably a scream movie it's not that oh we've got to do scream as elevated horror oh no it is that's and to me that's the the ready or not guys because they're they're very on that's very on brand now that i know that and after because i didn't know that the first time i watched this but knowing it going in the second time i'm like yeah that that tracks a lot I actually would like to discuss for a moment Jack Quaid. Just did he just appear out of nowhere and suddenly be in everything? Because I feel like a couple of years ago, I did not know Jack Quaid existed. And now he's in everything. Just like, boom, Jack Quaid. I'm going to say Jack Quaid is the Kate Hudson effect where... Or the Matthew Matthew Lillard effect. There yeah. was a moment where Matthew Lillard was everywhere, and now he's just in the background of all these movies. <laughs> where he put in the work and the training, the schools, the camps, because that was the thing, because Kate Hudson talks about when she told her mom and stepdad, hey, I want to be an actress. And they're like, okay, well, you're doing you're going yeah. to workshops, you're going to camp, you're doing this, you're putting in the work. And I feel that's kind of the Jack Quaid thing is as well. Cause the first thing I remember seeing him in is the first hunger games movie is that he's, mm. he's one of the, the dickheads. I can't remember. It's been ages since I've watched hunger games and who he was, but he's in that. And then it's just kind of slowly. Hmm. I do not remember slowly. Well, I'm going from hunger games to all of a sudden now the boys and lower yeah. decks. And Actually, you know what he reminds me of is Kiefer Sutherland, because I had the same reaction with him that I had with Kiefer Sutherland, where he appears on screen and I'm going, shit, I know that guy. I know that guy. Who is that? I know him. And um, because let me tell you, Kiefer Sutherland is a clone of his dad. Uh, Jack Quaid is not so much until he smiles. Um, But uh, um, in both cases, I just sat there going, man, I know him. And then I finally go to IMDb and look him up and go, oh. But yeah, Jack Quaid, you you may be right. He may have just, you know, done the work. And then suddenly people were like, oh, yeah, let's cast him. But yeah, when when Jack Quaid smiles, you're like, hello, Dennis Quaid is suddenly in this movie. (laughs) I do like the joke and it cracks me up that so in Scream 1, they're talking about, you know, who would play you. And Sydney's like, my luck would be Meg Ryan. Well, now we have Meg Ryan's kid in this. And it just, it's it's a weird little just Kinsey connection in my brain. And it just, it made me laugh. <laughs> and instead she got Tori Spelling. But yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that was an interesting, uh, instead she got stabbed by Meg Ryan's kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, speaking of which, the house, it, it's amazing to me how much that was not Stu Mocker's house until they said it was Stumacher's house, and then it was obviously Stumacher's house. Man, that was that was good. That yeah. was really good. Um, boy, 
I think it's was when the light. Good. I think it's when the lights come on that that's when you're like, oh shit, it is Stu's house. Speaking of Stu, so there is two lines, uh, two ADR lines in this that Matthew Lillard does. Uh, one of them is at the party when the girl walks by that owns a house and is like, hey, nice house, Freeman. And that's Matthew Lillard that says it. And then he says something on one of the YouTube videos. But the principal is voiced by Drew Barrymore. Uh-huh. And you can hear it yes. when, when she says Panthers. Like, I didn't hear the first time and we rewound it. And when I heard, you know, pa- Westboro Panthers and she just has that Drew Barrymore tone. I was like, oh, that's true. So I thought that was also a little fun. A little nice. just, you know, a little fun there. I like when they do things like that. Me too. Um, so, my goodness, Samantha's gorgeous. So nice and pretty and pretty. So pretty. Her eyes, gorgeous. Okay. Sorry. You know she's Vanessa and in the Heights, right? She is. She is. I didn't know that, but now I do. Yes, she definitely is Vanessa in In the Heights. So that girl can sing. Mm-hmm. Did you see In the Heights, Mac? I did. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked her as Skeet Ulrich's kid, but now that she's there, I'm, I'm I can't not see it. That CGI, that CGI varied from really scary good where I'm sitting there going, how the fuck did they get young Skeet Ulrich to really not so good? There were a couple well, of places where I was like, what the fuck? It was, it got a little wonky when it was close on his face. If it was, yeah. when it was like, you know, torso above or, but when it was the close of the face, it's like, oh, we're not there yet. We're like, mm-hmm. like, it's when it was just his eyes. When they got his mouth, it was like they really had his mouth down. So when it was close up on his eyes, I was like, oh, this is nope, nope, nope. Close up. And then when he was when he needed to do more, like the scene where he actually had some measurable dialogue and not just, you know, in the mirror, like pointing at things. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that's the uncanny valley. Once you ask, the more you ask of the CGI, the less realistic it becomes. Mm hmm. I would be curious how they did that. Did they actually get Skeet Ulrich to do it and then de-age him? Or did they try and do some? That's my understanding that like he's credited in the cast. So it's not just like yeah. Edward mm-hmm. Furlong in, in, in Terminator Dark Fate, where it's just we used old footage and grafted it on some small person. Um, yeah, I say it's probably de-aging is what yeah. they did with him. So what did you t- what did you both think of that little twist the the skeet ulrich's daughter yeah yeah i was I, I was doing the math in my head like wait a minute how old is she wait a minute skeet ulrich is still alive he did it he's the killer again <laughs> <laughs> then i calmed down and i was like wait a minute okay 25 26 she could be yeah uh, i'll allow it <laughs> I, I was I was like, OK, I mean, that track Skeet Ulrich is or excuse me, Billy Loomis is definitely the sort that would have been with someone else and got her pregnant. That that tracks like, all right. Yeah, I, I liked it. It just it felt very slashery, something, you know, mm-hmm. that we've seen, but not in a bad way. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah, it was it was something I was willing to be. All right. I, I really enjoyed uh, Nev Campbell's understated reaction to that revelation. She was like, you're Billy Loomis's kid. Well, that, that figures. <laughs> yeah. 
She had the Donna reaction of, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. Like, nothing bothers me anymore. So that definitely doesn't bother me anymore. Like, of all the things Billy Loomis did, this is not pissing me off all that much. <laughs> the um, I want to go back to, um, again, how much I appreciate you all suggesting I watch Scream 2. Because Scream 1 did not really give me a handle on on who Sydney is nearly as much as Scream 2 is did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scream 2 really gave me a handle on who Sydney is. Um, Sydney is not cold so much as Sydney is just leave me alone. I'm going to survive. Um, and the moment there, there was, there was a moment, I'm sorry to derail back into Scream 2. I'm sorry. But there's a moment right after Sydney has gotten a death threat and then she's, she's trying to get away and get someplace safe and then cotton weary approaches her and i actually was a little worried for cotton because he's being really pushy with her and he's getting kind of handsy with her and i'm like you're about to lose a testicle cotton (laughs) you you don't understand what you're messing with right here um and and that was when I really got a handle on kind of who Sydney is. And then, of course, at the end, when she had turned him down with the Cotton, with the Diane Sawyer interview, and then while well, Cotton's got a gun and the partner has um, Sydney and is threatening her, and she's like, yep, let's do that interview. And uh, it was, uh, again, like, you know, Sydney's going to survive. Sydney wants to be left alone and Sydney's going to survive. And... There you go. So um, her line, uh, you know, of course I've got a gun. Oh, that line. I love that line. I'm Sydney fucking mm-hmm. Prescott. Of course I've got a gun. I love that line so much. <laughs> so her, um, yeah, uh, fine, whatever. I don't care. You're, you're Billy's daughter, whatever. You know, was, yeah, quite quite in character with Sydney. And, and when they arrived at the house and... Um, Amber came out going, oh, God, the killer's here. And the two of them just stood there going, hmm, hmm. But these are two surviving final girls of various types who are not dominated by their trauma at all. Like, it's still there. Like, hey, Dewey gives them a call, then, yeah, they're back on on the case. But they have definitely moved on with their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were even talking about it with uh, Texas Chainsaw. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we saw a final girl who wasn't completely filled with their trauma? And and there you go, nail. two on a plate. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a great moment when they were like, "What do you think?" Trap. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it was a, it was a good moment. I I really enjoy Sydney's character. I like with this one, and then even with four when her and Gail have just kind of come to where they are now. And I really, I like seeing them together and I like that dynamic of working together. And I, mm-hmm. I think you, re- you really see that in these last two and it's just, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. Um, Gail's character arc is interesting too, where, you know, Gail has never been a bad person. Gail has been a driven person and no i'm going to stand by that mac okay um, I, I think the earlier you go in the series the more opportunistic she is yeah that's the word i'll, I'll use but yeah and, go ahead. and i'm gonna i'm gonna go with you know some of the barriers that, that that women 
have put in front of them mm-hmm. and that um when was the first scream out it was 80s 90, 96 96 okay that that a a woman pursuing a career in reporting probably had to be quite a bit harder to to get what she needed so yeah, yeah she was hard and she was driven but she was never bad she was focused on what she wanted yes absolutely she was willing to knock down a few people to get there is is the only caveat I'd put on that. But For yes. sure. But she yeah. was not deliberately hurting people. She was focused and driven, but watching her realize that she has done some harm mm-hmm. and finally get to the point where she's like, yeah, I don't, I, I, no, I'm not going to do that anymore is um, it's a good arc to see. I wish it hadn't taken her 30 years to get there, but um I mean, she's always had she's always had a heart. You know, you could see it in in Scream Two when she started going shit. You know, this is this is a problem. Um, but uh, I, I I really appreciate her getting to that point at the end of this movie where she's like, yeah, I'm not going to write about this. I'm going to write about Dewey. So and I kind of wish kind of wish she and Dewey could have worked out those two kids. I find it interesting how. Their characters, Dewey and Gail, parallel them in real life. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of real life parallels where, and it's kind of like you said, man. I just I wish those two kids could have could have made it work. And but I think they are happier. Oh no doubt, <clears throat> right? Yeah. But that, but uh, this is the point about the movie. Like that th- that is they were not successful as a married couple, but it definitely showed their love and affection. And bond with each other. It, it was just, oh, we like something about us just can't hack this this construction of our relationship. But like when he dies, like he was my best friend, like that that sort of thing. Like it's still there, and I think that's even true with them in real life. Like you were saying, like they still have a production company together, and you know all of that sort of stuff. So. It's probably one of the least acrimonious divorces in fiction and in the celebrity arena that you've ever seen, because it just this part doesn't work. So we're going to take that out and everything's better. So I think those two kids did figure it out. It just didn't include marriage. I like that take. I like that take. Uh, So and this will get a little bit toward in in game stuff, but. Man, is this film saying a lot of stuff about toxic fandoms? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, I will use the example because this is what it screamed at me. Now, uh, Mac also pointed out had other examples. But man, is this man, this is Last Jedi backlash like that they're talking about. Like, that's what I felt. And I part of me feels like that's what they were going for with like stab eight, you know, episode eight, Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson. So, yeah. Whew. Yeah, they've got a lot to say, and I'm I'm here for all of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of Star Trek uh, overlay too, but I think that's just fandom in general. Because Halloween, you, you go into horror Twitter, and there are the same bullshit takes out there. Um, you know, Halloween, the new Halloween was great. The new Halloween was terrible. Halloween Kills is terrible. Way worse than anything that's ever happened. It ruined everything that was in Halloween 2018. I'm not quoting anyone on that one. Um, <laughs> James Bond, uh, which, you know, has its own toxicity built into it, but somehow they added like a a credenza 
of toxicity onto it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a one size fits all and it's a state of it's a state of the union of fandoms. But yes, I, I the the Star the Star Wars parallels are there. The Halloween parallels are there. Uh, Boimler's there. So you can't discount Star Trek. Um, yeah. I mean, I have just reached a point where if a fandom starts screaming about how much something sucks, I assume that it either stars a woman or a person of color. Or a, uh, a, a member of the LGBTQ community. Yes, or a member of the LGBTQ community. Sometimes all three. The hat trick. <laughs> and this was a, a very specific Star Trek take, you know. A a new Star Trek isn't truly Star Trek until someone says it's not real Star Trek. Since when did Star Trek start messing around with social justice, Mac? It's so political. You were supposed to say 1966. Yes. Why why is it so political now? Back in the day, and and where's God in Star Trek? God used to be in Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry was the horniest, most atheist. That's a different podcast. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Kelly Marie Tran, um, John Boyega, John Boyega, who was supposed to be the first Black Jedi, and then that just kind of poofed. Well, that that whole ninth movie generally poofed. I, it, it it it's a it, it's a mess. It's a well-meaning mess. It is. It is that ninth movie is putting band aids on this is what i'm saying yeah that ninth movie is trying to fix mistakes that should have that were not mistakes that weren't mistakes and that they if they'd had a plan before starting and don't give me the bullshit don't give me the bullshit lucas didn't have a plan yes he did he had his outline and then he had people that wrote better than he did to fucking write it but anyway i digress i digress we were discussing toxic fandom yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then this has been a short play (laughs) and scene the call is coming from inside the house it's also gone (laughs) we love star star wars what is what is the meme am i the drama (laughs) (laughs) are they talking about me but yeah no the toxic fandom i don't and i don't even consider them fans because i don't i won't use you can you can disagree with choices, mm-hmm. but calling something they've ruined my childhood with yeah. whatever changes, you're not fans. You're missing you're missing the boat. And that and that applies to Trek, Wars, Bond, whatever you're into, then yeah, it's all there. Horror. Yeah. Yeah. If if you insist media and fiction meet your specifications at all times. You'll never be surprised by anything. Do we have anything else about this film? Cause we're, I feel like we're kind of just winding down a little bit <laughs> um, before we get into a real polling quote. Let me think for a minute. Okay. I only wrote down two things. Well, that was the thing with this, even seeing it, this being my second watch, I found myself watching not a lot of, notes more you know the bulk of my notes are quotes and then it's just like i just i got back wrapped back into it even though knowing the beats and so i just yeah 
I loved I loved how meta this movie is, and that's something that's always been true of the Scream franchise. They always have been meta, but this one was extra meta. I mean, they were genuinely talking about themselves as if they were in a movie. It was extra meta, um, and I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed how much modern technology played into it. One of my favorite moments was when the guy was trying to turn his phone off with bloody fingers. Uh, it made me, I mean, I, I sh perhaps shouldn't say I laughed at a guy who's dying because he's got blood on his hands. Um, I have fingerprint recognition on my phone. And I, what that means is I can't use my phone after I've gotten out of the shower <laughs> because my fingers are wrinkly. And so it made me laugh. I, I am so thrilled that the end of this story wasn't. There was this one time my hands were covered in blood and it didn't work. So that scene spoke to me. I, I, Don't worry, I, I, it wasn't my blood. Yeah, I got to say it, Matt, because I mean, I was thinking it was, you know, going to be like a something, a vet story. Oh, I was doing this. I had my hands covered in blood and I needed to answer my phone. Like I was expecting that, Donna. So the fact that it was this delightful shower story <laughs> i have those stories i'm sure you do no one is doubting that you do <laughs> <laughs> just just the fact that my fingerprints won't work because they're swollen from the shower anyway it kind of it kind of amused me you know in a sad sad way uh so yeah i like the way that technology features prominently in this film um and the way that maybe we shouldn't always trust it. And yes, you know, they kept saying we got to go back to the original. And where do we end up in the kitchen of Stu Mocker's house? So expertly done. Very well done. Nice job. Yep. Nice job. Uh, the only other thought I had that won't necessarily dovetail into our wrap up is um, uh, when I go, there will need to be a memorial theater. Yeah, that, that tracks, Mac. I'm sitting here like, yeah, well, as we narrow down the suspects, I mean, I know I'm not the killer, so I'm probably going to eat it before the end of the show. Uh, I mean, you guys don't know that, but, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a switcheroo. Maybe I am the killer. I don't know. We will try to make it a nicer one than Randy Meeks Memorial Theater. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I ask. Even even if I do end up being the killer. Oh, no. If you end up being the killer, we're OK. Yeah. Fair. Unmarked grave in a potter's field somewhere. <laughs> right. My my illegitimate children will avenge me. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, Heather Matazero will still bring snacks in your memorial theater. So there we go. There we go. Anyway, that's my last thought. I'm I'm not the killer. <clears throat> and if I were, I wouldn't be caught because I have the perfect way to dispose of the body. <laughs> when you, it's it's saying things like that that don't get you out of the list. It, yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying I wouldn't be caught. <laughs> All right. All right. They'd never find your body. Yeah, maybe. Never. <laughs> so this recording, if I do end up dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll never suspect me. They'll never find your body, she said on a podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I have our quote, which is, how can fandom be toxic? It's about love. 
kind of already hit it. Yeah. Love you so much. We're going to drive you off Twitter. Yeah. Or Instagram. drive you right off social media. I, 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 I'm watching something that isn't successfully making me feel like I'm eight years old again. Therefore, it is hurting me. And I have to hurt it back. I'm not, I'm not asking to coach. I'm, I'm, I'm play acting. Donna's going to be <laughs> like, that's not the right attitude to have, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> All right, Donna, you have our rule. Yes. And to give this uh, rule the most uh, flair, you have to imagine that I'm in the process of being murdered by my boyfriend. Never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. Stab you through the mouth, mouth with a knife. Boom. That is the full quote. Stab you in the... Yeah. <laughs> that was actually the tagline of, of the, on the poster. Stab. Stab you in the in the mouth with a knife. <laughs> yeah, the quote is "Never fuck with the daughter of a sta- of a serial killer." Stage then, direction. Stage direction. Stab you in the mouth. With a knife. <laughs> I, I think Scream Six. That's that should be like for uh, you know descriptive audio for the for the visually impaired. The whole movie written <laughs> into it. Just <laughs> slice you with a knife. <laughs> All right, and Donna, you have our poll. All right. So my poll is, as I mentioned before we started recording, I ne- it never occurred to me until this movie that in addition to being slasher movies, these were, in fact, whodunits. I mm-hmm. don't know why it never occurred to me, but these are, in fact, whodunits. So my poll is, when were you sure it was Richie? When were you sure that Richie was one of the killers? I kept threatening my whole suspect list throughout the podcast. Um, let me let me let me let me list in order my 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 suspicions. Uh, Billy Loomis has to be the killer if Skeet Ulrich is in the movie, right? Bradward Boimler is the killer, calling it now. So my second shot, I was right on the money. Uh, Dewey is either the killer or the Laurie Strode of the whole thing. Uh, this is endlessly what I do. Everyone is the killer. Uh, actually, I like the fact that Dewey is Laurie Strode. Uh, Sydney is happy and well-adjusted, or seems to be. Um, <laughs> Pizza Hut is the killer. Cholesterol. Um, <laughs> uh, the kid's mother is the killer, right? Or the father that fled. Someone needs to stop me. Uh, so Dewey's definitely not the killer. That's when he died. Uh, to one of the friends looks familiar, but I dare not look at uh, look at look at a Wikipedia article. Uh, oh wait, she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so <laughs> pretty much had it wrapped up. Uh, uh, it's Stu Mocker's house. Is Stu Mocker the killer? Um, wait, oh my God, I just figured it out. Every kid in Woodsboro is the killer. <laughs> I, 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 like 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 literally every every kid at the party was just gonna be like. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I had literally everyone in Woodsboro eventually. And I was not sure that it was Bradward Boimler until he uh, asserted himself. Kinsey? Yeah. So these films always get me like who it is because they, they do such a great job of misdirection, red herring and all that. So until he physically stabbed Sam, I did not think he was a killer because I was like, OK, no, he's been with her in Modesto. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 right there. I'm with it. I'm like, yeah, he couldn't have done it. You know, also with Tara. And then, yeah, when he stabbed her, I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, they had me. 
they all these films with the 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 misdirections and all of that they they get me every time because i don't see it coming I should have been sure sooner because it goes to my governing theory of most whodunits is if you recognize the performer, the quicker you recognize the performer, the more likely they are to have been the killer. And I recognize the lady from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bradward Boimler pretty quickly. And sure enough, there we were at the end. <laughs> I like that. He appeared at the top of my suspect list Almost as soon as he appeared on screen, almost as soon as I went, oh, hey, that's Jack Quaid. He was, boom, at the top of my list immediately. And throughout the movie, he stayed at the top of my list as he's probably the killer. And like any good whodunit, like there was a point that the twins were high on my list. Like, you know, like, oh, that would make a lot of sense. They're Randy Meek's niece and nephew. Yeah. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. Um, a lot of people floated to the top of that list, but Richie stayed at the top of the list through most of the movie at the point that they needed to go back to the house to get the inhaler. I, I put one nail in the corner of his name. Okay. Because the way he was behaving when he was like, let's not go back was very not Richie like behavior. I mean, he's, he kind of became mean about it, you know, and that was not Richie-like behavior. Uh, so I kind of put one nail in the corner there. But the point at which I became certain that he was the killer was when he started saying maybe Tara was the killer, because that was the dumbest shit anybody had said in the entire fucking movie, that Tara was the killer. That was dumb. And that's when I became convinced that he was the killer. Um so that was my point, that he was the killer. I never pegged Amber as the killer. Never. I had one suspicion fairly early on when there was like the video of her that, um, you know, if you, if you don't answer the phone, she dies, where I was like, I wonder if she just videotaped herself. You know, so at the beginning, I did have a very brief suspicion, and then I just kind of forgot it. And she never appeared on the list again. So at the beginning, I suspected her and then just forgot it completely. So I don't think that counts. So who wants to go first on their happy place? I can. My birthday was this week. And uh, last uh, Friday night, my friends from my gaming group went to an all-you-can-eat sushi place. And much sushi was murdered. And some of these friends have not been out together for over two years and much fun was had and it was wonderful Yay! it was nice and then we pretended that we didn't know that one of our friends had a birthday in october and you know it was (laughs) as we were sitting around going oh so-and-so has a birthday in april and -and so-and-so has a birthday in may and -and so-and-so has a birthday in i don't remember when if only we knew someone who had a birthday in october and i don't know it was fun mac you want to go for your happy place Sure. This last week or so has really uh, put me through, not not the ringer, but like kind of just really wanted to piss me off at any given turn. Uh, Our furnace uh, completely crapped out, so we had to get an entirely new one. We installed some new fans, but then the drywall started to collapse in on itself. There is some family drama that's happening, and I am a bystander, but a bystander that is being recorded 
recruited to either side of the conflict. Uh, what else? Oh, I, you know, I, I, I've lost a little bit of weight recently. Um, and I actually hit my goal weight a couple of weeks ago. And I said, okay, as long as I'm within five pounds of my goal weight, I'll be fine. Weighed in this morning. I am now five pounds. I'm now six pounds over my goal weight. So I'm like, God damn it. Uh, but the happy place of all this is that I am, I'm handling it. We handled the furnace. We handled the drywall. We handled the family stuff and I'll handle the weight stuff. Throw, throw some curveballs. I got this. That's the happy place. I got this. Hashtag handling it. Hashtag resiliency. Yep. Man, Mac, I kind of wish I had you go last because I can't follow that because mine is so like, yeah. So my happy place is I started playing Elden Ring and it is a gory delight with nightmare fuel of monsters in a fantasy setting. It is the most fun I have had dying in a video game and I just I'm having a blast with it. And yeah, the monsters are horrifying. And it's great. I have heard that you can aggro monsters that you can't even see. Sometimes the guys can go invisible. Uh, but like monsters that aren't even on the map that you can see can just like aggro and kill you. I haven't ran into that, so I can't okay. speak on that. Uh, I definitely have fought monsters above my weight class because I have a big great sword. And as I told uh, our editor, Billy, I've been playing fuck around and find out and I'm finding out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do enjoy the uh, the oh i shouldn't i should not have done that moment in video games <laughs> yeah the, I've, I've had several of them with this game but i'm also having a lot of fun with it and yeah i have a really big sword and i'm i'm and i got a little weird pony unicorn thing and yeah i like it good 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 <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up here. You can find us on social media. We're at beyondcabinintheWoods.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Our Twitter and Instagram is at beyondcabin. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at, as at Callista77. I am at Dragon Goblin with no I in the Goblin um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, on Instagram, you'll mostly see me sharing kind of angry memes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Party Apocalypse. I think on Instagram also at Party Apocalypse. It is a ghost account. There might be something there. I don't know. I honestly, I gun to my head, knife to my throat. I have no idea what's on my Instagram right now. Um, you can also find more uh, on my website, PartyApocalypse.com. And as always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic and professional. We could not do it without you. And our listeners, we do appreciate you listening, subscribing. You know, if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on wherever you're getting your your podcast from. But seriously, thanks for for listening to to us uh, chat about uh, our love of horror films. And don't read the Latin. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.